I'd like to invite you to the brush arbor of the human soul. The brush arbor of the human soul. Because of the peculiar institution of uh, American chattel slavery, there was a great deal of co-opting of the Christian narrative. Not only the co-opting of the Christian narrative, but Christian space, the preached word, Christian practice. Because of the institution of chattel slavery, it co-opted the Christian narrative for the perpetuation of the institution of American chattel slavery. But because of the co-opting of the Christian narrative, another institution, an invisible institution, was formed called the Brush Harbor, or the Brush Arbor, or the Bush Harbor. This was a time when, uh, it, far away outside of the parameters of the plantation, the enslaved African would find these little alcoves, these small hidden spaces, and they would just build up brush around this space so they could hide away to this secret place where they could worship in peace. Out of the gaze, of oppression of their masters. Deep in verdant woods, away from their master's gaze, these brush arbors made of branches and brush lean-tos with pews made of small saplings nailed to stumps for, for pews, were the spaces where the enslaved African could be and have full communion with the divine, with the sacred ground of being. I think we limit the capacity of who God is by the, the words that we put around this notion of God and Godness. I love this notion of God as the ground of being. Isn't that powerful? God is the sum total of reality. I can safely say that's what the kingdom is. <laughs> that which is real, that which is true, that which is beautiful, that which is sound. So, so, so these, these enslaved Africans would find this hiding place where they could be in intimate relationship with each other, intimate relationship with creation, and intimate relationship with their God. And it was a space of religious experiencing. Yes, it was cognitive space where they were learning and they were talking and it was discursive. They were using words to, to expand their understanding of God, but they also were experiencing God. And, and the, the beauty of the religious experiencing is you can't ever unring that bell. Once you've experienced the divine, can't nobody tell you it don't exist. I never have a question whether there's the existence of God and it's because I've seen the Holy Spirit in action. 
And once you've seen it, once you've experienced it, once you, you have this religious experiencing, all of a sudden the things that are in your head seem to fall to the part where it really matters, which is the heart. The sociologists would call this the social, social imagination, where the narratives that are spoken into our lives shape the affections. And once our affections are shaped, our behaviors are shaped, right? It's religious experiencing. And these enslaved Africans, they would, they would sing, wade in the water, wade in the water, children. These enslaved Africans with so much boldness would actually answer the biblical question, is there a balm in Gilead? With a song, with so much audacity, they actually sing, yes, there is a bomb in Gilead. There is healing. There is solution. There are answers to this question of life. Wow. Can you imagine being enslaved and still having the audacity to say, yeah, God is, and God's going to move. They'd sing Steal away, steal away, steal away to Jesus. Steal away, steal away, steal away to Jesus. Steal away, steal away home. Ain't got long to stay here. And if their masters happened to hear that song, they would say, how sweet. They're singing about the sweet by and by. <laughs> but in the secret place, in the brush arbor, the, the enslaved African knew. They knew they weren't sweet, singing about the sweet by and by. They were singing about the rusty, dusty here and now and that there would, in fact, be liberation, not someday, but in the now. They, would be, they were singing of their own liberation. And what I would like to suggest to you is this. There is a brush arbor of the human soul. There is a secret place. There is sacred space where beyond the oppressive gaze of racism, sexism, heterosexism, and ableism, there is a secret place full of liberation where the human heart is free. I'm going to say it again just for dramatic emphasis, free. Like not sort of free, not kind of free, but completely free. Free to be in deep intimacy with God. It, it's not in my notes, but I think I need to stop here and just kind of give a working definition of what I'm talking about as intimacy. Um, have you been in a relationship where you felt fully known? Like, they know everything. <laughs> And you haven't hidden anything. You have opened up the very heart of who you are. And they look at it and they say, wow, that's really some nasty stuff there. Wow, that is some very beautiful stuff there. And I accept it all. Oh, my goodness, to be fully known. Can you imagine how powerful it is to be fully known? 
What could you do relationally, professionally, spiritually, if you function from this place of being fully known? Whoa. And my suggestion is, in the brush harbor, the brush arbor of the human soul, it is the space where your spirit and the Holy Spirit finds communion one with another. This is your heart's true home. This is where your real you resides. Through deep forms of prayer and meditation, we meet our God and God meets us there. This is where the spiritual maturation process actually occurs. It's in the brush arbor is where we move on the spiritual journey. But for this talk, this is the thing that I need for you all to understand as best as you can. In the brush arbor of the human soul is where the dismantling of systemic oppression begins in this secret place, in this sacred place of the human soul is where the dismantling of systemic oppression begins. It doesn't end there, but it begins there because only when we dismantle our interior oppression can we see to dismantle the systemic oppression. More to the point, when we, are all, when we offer peace to ourselves and when we offer peace to our violence, then we can offer peace for the violence that's in the world, in the brush arbor, in our secret place, in our sacred space of divine encounter, we equip ourselves to do the actual work of nonviolence, the actual work of non-aggression and non-oppression and non-hatred of ourselves and others. And so we find our way to the brush arbor of the human soul we sit, we settle, and we breathe. Could y'all do that with me? Just breathe in and out. Breathe in and out. Breathe in and find a comfortable rhythm for your breathing. And let's tune our hearts to the presence of God. Can we offer non-judgmental awareness to what's going on inside of us? Notice your breathing. Notice if there's any tension in any part of your body. If it is, don't judge, just acknowledge. Offer loving acknowledgement that it is, and then just release and breathe. Let's breathe and offer awareness to things outside of ourselves. What do you hear? Can you sense the temperature in the room? 
breathe. And if you could dare to try, can you notice what's going on internally and externally at the same time? And we find our way to the brush arbor where our spirits and God's spirit meets. Let's just for a few minutes keep company with God together inside of ourselves. world is to have time of peace, time of life and love, with all guidance from above, time a man can understand, being free, oh, in a time of peace. We need peace for our children so that they may live their lives. What a joy divine, what a perfect state of mind with their worries and cares left behind. Oh, what a peaceful time. Oh, what a peaceful time. Oh, what a peaceful time. Peace. In our world and in our hearts, for flood-ravaged victims, for those who have experienced sexual assault, for the transgender teens considering suicide once again, for brown and black bodies broken, exploited, and deported, for white supremacists and nationalists who find hate an adequate response to a changing world, for the victims of school shootings, for church shootings, for victims of terrorist attacks and the terrorists themselves, for souls living in crowded spaces and yet deal with profound loneliness. If there was ever a time to cry out for peace, isn't it now? Don't you think? I spent a lot of time with uh, emerging adults with 
college students and um, I love them, but they dangerous <laughs> because they ask the better questions. Why? Why is the world the way it is? Why is this world so violent? Why am I the way I am? And I've spent enough time with them that I've started to kind of formulate a few practices and a few thoughts that I want to share with you uh, today that I've shared with them. And if there's time, we're going to uh, share a couple of practices that um, I've exposed them to that might be beneficial to you all. I find it interesting that Jesus was resurrected with his wounds. Yeah, interesting. Like he's God, you know, he's, his resurrection, we won the day, you know. Can't we have the perfect body? Can't we just go about the way things are without any remembrance of those things that were once horrible? But for whatever reason, Jesus decides to be resurrected with his scars. The resurrection, the centerpiece of our Christian faith. As crazy as it sounds, as improbable as it may be, Christianity in some way is predicated on a notion that that which is dead doesn't have to stay that way. And as a metaphor, that's amazing, right? Failure doesn't have to be the last answer, right? If act one is really messed up, there's an intermission and there's an act two. I, right? Praise God for intermission in act two, right? I love Shakespearean theater because they usually have about five acts. That means I really get a chance to mess up and try over again. As a philosophical premise, it's, it's amazing that which persists exists. As a scientific concept, it's promising the persistence of energy beyond the demise of the carrier of that energy. And biologically, it, we see glimpses of this as we notice the constant death and regeneration of skin cells in the body. But as a historical reality, it stretches the mind. And I, I got to uh, tell you, on a good day, I'm like, yay, resurrection. On a bad day, I'm like, really? And I, I, I wrestle with this, and, I, and I, I want to yell out to Jesus the same thing somebody else yelled out to Jesus thousands of years ago, which is, I believe, just could you help me with my unbelief, right? This is why I feel uh, like defending the apostle uh, Thomas, who folks have the unmitigated gall to call doubting Thomas. I'm like, really? You got you figured all of this out to you where you could call him doubting Thomas, really? I call him faithing Thomas because he's trying to figure out this cosmic thing that just fell into all of their laps. The resurrection of a body, the resurrection of a Messiah. And is that that easy to grasp for everybody else that we're in the 12? I don't think so.
So the other disciples told them, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hands and put into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Beyond locked doors, Jesus comes. That was the time for somebody to just say, that, say amen. Beyond locked doors, Jesus comes. I need to hear that every day. What are those places inside of yourself you ain't letting nobody into? What is that space? Could you, could you recall it? Would you recall it? What is that space that you have locked away and there's some shame there or there's some guilt behind that door or there's some pettiness or there's some jealousy or there is some anger that is so boiling that the only thing that you've decided to do is to lock that door and say, I can't even walk in that area of the house. Could you name that place? Would you? Because beyond locked doors, Jesus comes and his message to them and his message to you is peace. Peace. And this is not the cessation of conflict. This is the cessation of conflict and reconnection to the place of deep intimacy. That's, that's shalom. That is the, the invitation to the healthiest and greatest good. But then there it is. With, with so much detail, it rings of truth. I mean, why else would they have included in there? Jesus is resurrected with his wounds. It's just so human, isn't it? The persistence of wounds, especially soul wounds. See, a soul wound happens in the deepest part of your being. There's this time in a person's life when they're really small and the world is really big and something happens to them or they do something or some situation occurs. And whether it's intentional or unintentional, it wounds your soul. Mine came early. I am the uh, son of a family of strivers. And I was raised in the near north side of St. Louis and uh, in a time, and while I would like to believe that I'm still young and lie to people and say I'm still young, I'm not. I was born in, well, I guess I am still young for some people. I was born in 1968. Um, and I was born uh, the day that King, uh, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King was buried. Um, and my mom was in the, the delivery room um, watching over closed circuit TV the, the funeral. Um, and this is the, 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 the generation I was raised in. And um, 
another understatement of the day. Uh, it was not a, a pleasant place for, for people that are clothed in my skin all the time. And um, there was a lot of socioeconomic issues, but my family as strivers chose not to really be phased by all of that. So my mom and my dad worked really, really hard. My dad worked three or four jobs just to keep a roof over our heads and us to have a good education and, and those sorts of things. And my mom, um, she worked as well and was working on her master's degree while she was working as well. And understandably, she parented from a place of frustration and exhaustion. And so I really didn't see my dad too much, um, except his, so, you know, in some ways he was the guy that came home really late at night and spanked me because I did something wrong earlier that day. Um, and my mom was just really just, you know, frustrated. I appreciate uh, the sacrifices that they made uh, uh, to, to raise me and my brother the way that they did, but I very seldom saw them. And when I saw them, they were either angry or tired. Um, and I only, only thing that I wanted is, was to be seen um, because in that time, I mean, it was still young boys my age clothed in my color skin that were being drugged behind trucks in, in rural Missouri. It, it was, it, I mean, we talk about police brutality. That, this ain't a new phenomenon. I mean, every black man in America has a number of stories when they were a young kid getting pulled over by the police. And some of those instances um, occurred with a few scars and others of those did not end well at all and ended at, at their demise. And so I just needed to be seen and for somebody to tell me that it was okay, that things were okay. And I didn't really get that when I was younger. So my choice was to hold my breath, to turn off my feelings, and to do the dance, right? I just held my breath, turned off my feelings, and I did the dance. But here's the thing about soul wounds. With every soul wound, there is an accompanying false vow. A false vow is some message that rings in your ears because of the pain of the, of the wounds. Here's a list of a few of these false vows we hold onto in our hearts. It's not okay to be vulnerable. It's not okay to make mistakes. It's not okay to receive help. It's not okay to be too happy or too functional. It's not okay to trust. It's not okay to rely on others or even yourself. For every soul wound, there's an accompanying false vow. Any of these sound familiar to you all? It's interesting. One of the things that I've been doing lately is, uh, well, I've been teaching these things to young people and surprisingly not only emerging adults, but even younger um, uh, uh, students, and they get it. At a very young age, middle schoolers are saying, yep, this is rattling around in my head already. I'm actually starting to use this list as I preach. And so if the text actually has 
something that I can call these things out. I mention it in probably a third of the, 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 the crowd in a church all of a sudden just does this because they, they hurt the, the soul wound and they hurt the false vow and it just kind of hits them. For every soul wound, there's an accompanying false vow. Mine, it's not, the, the one that I, I live with, it's not okay to feel, and it's not okay to be myself. It's not okay to feel, and it's not okay to be myself. So I held my breath, turned off my emotions, and became whoever anybody needed me to be if it meant I was going to be seen and that I could belong. I held my breath, turned off my emotions, and I did the dance. You need me to be a good student? Okay, I'll hold my breath, and I will do that dance. You need me to be one of those people that cross the line and do something stupid, then I'll hold my breath, turn off my feelings. I'll do that too. You need me to fight for fun we drink too much, going to church, debating deep. It didn't matter what it was. If they needed me to be that person, I would just hold my breath, turn off my emotions, and I would be that for them. Because it was not okay to be me. One of the most telling spiritual moments that I've had is with my dear friend Lauren who's here. Thank you for coming because when I first got the job here we were walking around and I was meeting people and I was noticing the Pepperdine atmosphere and I said something that came out of the deepest part of my heart that I didn't even know was there. I said, wow I could actually be myself here. When in the middle of trauma, some of those vows are true. Let's be honest. You know, sometimes you, things aren't safe and you got to, you know, protect yourself. Sometimes in the middle of a crisis or trauma or a certain situation, these vows save our lives. But what happens when the crisis is over and the lease runs out on that coping mechanism and the vow still remains? It becomes a lie that imprisons us. It becomes a false vow that imprisons us. And all the while, Jesus is crying out to us with so much love and so much compassion, I am the truth. Jesus offers us the spirit of truth. Maybe this was what Jesus meant when he says the truth would set you free. And I've heard that a million times, right? The truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. But every time I heard it, the only thing that I did was I held my breath, I turned off my emotions, and I did the dance. And began to do violence to myself and to others. Because here's the thing, with every soul wound, there's accompanying false vow, and with every, with every false vow is an accompanying act of violence that we do to ourselves and others. Live with a lie long enough, and it does some damage to our heart and to our world. Success became the drug for me. Achievement validated me. Coming to, come to find out... Holding your breath, turning off your emotion, and doing the dance is actually rewarded in this Western world. <laughs> and I did it well, and I was very successful. 
I worked to exhaustion. I ignored my loved ones. I lied to make myself look good. I got really good at destroying people and dashing their esteem to validate mine. Something would rub against that wound. That false vow would be triggered. And the horrible stuff that come out, would come out of my mouth and would come out of my heart, it was just shocking. And behind me was this trail of broken relationships, devastated lies, and a mountain of regrets. I'm always shocked when somebody says, you know, I live my life without regrets. I'm like, how you do that? <laughs> really? That's great. You know, it's like, I don't get a tattoo, no regrets. Whoa, 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 don't do that. <laughs> The only time you get the live with no regrets tattoo is like right before you're about to die, <laughs> right? Because only then would you be sure that you wouldn't live life without regrets. But I was successful. Every false vow has an accompanying act of violence, being too hard on ourselves or being judgmental of others. You see how that worked? Right? being too hard on me or judging others, thinking too much of ourselves or bullying others, denying your need while being manipula manipulative by exploiting other people's needs. Now that's the insidious one, right? I, I can't really ask for what I need, so I'll just keep on helping you until I jam you up in a corner till you have to do what I want you to do. And if you don't do it, I'll explode. Beating yourself up and blaming others for the pain. On and on, violence to ourselves and violence to our world, and it escalates from our hearts to our homes to our environment onto a global scale, and it builds and builds, and soon all that's left is us versus them, and we start yelling at each other from behind the barricades, and we start screaming and yelling, and it builds and builds and builds as if yelling ever healed one wound. So here's the crazy thing that I've did, and I, I, so many of you all have um, been gracious enough to walk with me through some of these teachings over actually the last five or six years, and so you've heard this, but I started just breathing again. Just breathing again. To sit, to settle, and to literally breathe. And this is the breath prayer that I received. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. Originally, my breath prayer was the traditional Orthodox prayer, uh, Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. But if you beat yourself up, imagine how that breath prayer goes. Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner, right? I was actually beating myself up, and I was like, why isn't this meditation thing working? And I started just, I found this 
healthier breath prayer for me. I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. I am God's, not because of what I've achieved, what, am I, what I'm going to achieve or what I'm not gonna achieve. I am God's because that is in the heart of God to have us. Isn't that amazing? That the maker and sustainer of the universe, the one that holds all of creation and time together, looks down and looks at you and looks at me and says, you know what? Could you be with me? Could you keep company with me? And you don't have to do a thing. We could just be. I am convinced that if the, the, the greatest irreducible unit of faith is being with I am. You can't reduce it down anymore. You can't expand it a little bit more and it's us being with I am. But you don't get much bigger or smaller once you cut through all the clutter. It's just can I be? with God. And God is mine. God is in deep intimacy with me, and I am in deep intimacy with God. I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. I don't know what your breath prayer would be. Maybe, God of love, be with me. God of love, be with me. Or, be still and know that I am God, it is well. I love that one, it is well. We did one uh, at a retreat last weekend um, uh, that uh, our, our friend uh, Richard Rohr shows us where it's the, the, the Yahweh is actually the human breath that you breathe in, Yah. is as if God figured out a way that the very first breath that you breathe as a baby is this breath in <sighs> the very name of God. And maybe the last breath that we breathe is <sighs> the very voice of God. I don't know what your breath prayer would be. I'm every woman, it's all in me, I don't know. <laughs> Whatever you breathe in or breathe out, just know that what you breathe in and breathe out, you are placing your intention there and where you place your attention is where you place your intention. And the more that you place an intention any place, it actually starts manifesting itself. And it's not some new age metaphysical thing. It's in the Bible, it says, you reap what you sow. <laughs> That, that which you plant, that's what's going to come out. I mean, you don't plant apple seeds hoping for a peach tree to come out. What you reap is what you sow. What, what, what you plant is what you, what you get. And as the, the more that you place your intention towards, I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. It was uncanny over 12 years, a person that once turned off their feelings. I'm talking about love more than I ever have before. And I am studying and reading and thinking about love more. And I realized that I picked the worst job because on a college campus, students come and they go and every semester my heart gets broken. 
I'm actually living in denial because there's a couple of college students that they haven't left yet and they're still in our office and I, I, I've just emotionally divorced them. I'm like, I can't with you right now. Because <laughs> I know, I, I mean, once they, they go, my heart is going to be broken because God has allowed me no longer to hold my breath and turn off my feelings but to feel all my feelings and think all my thoughts. And that's hard, ain't it? Because <laughs> it's vulnerable. And when you're vulnerable, it's a good chance you'll get hurt. But praise be to God, there's resurrection and there's healing of wounds. And yeah, they'll turn to scars, but they'll be beautiful scars once redeemed. to sit and settle into the presence of the Spirit of God, where our spirits and God's Holy Spirit finds communion one with another, to keep company with the Holy Spirit in the brush arbor of our soul. The more we do this, the more influence the Holy Spirit has on our spirit. Uh, I, I had the, the joy of meeting with a, um, a, a, a new a client or counseling a person yesterday uh, that has had to all just absolutely dismantle their entire theology. And I said, well, wouldn't here's a, here's a nutty idea. Why don't we rebuild our theology and put Jesus right in the middle and build around there? And she said, that might work. <laughs> And so we started talking about Jesus, and we started, I started walking her through uh, Mark and, and, and John the Baptist and, and Jesus, and then uh, John the Baptist baptizing Jesus and coming up, and then all of a sudden the heavens part and the spirit descend upon him like a dove. And I was like, what's a spirit? And she said, I kind of think of it like a ghost. I was like, well, what's a ghost? She said, a disembodied being that has thinking. I said, what else? And she said, they want stuff? I was like, yeah, okay, keep on going. And she said, yeah. I was like, okay, the, the spirit is what enlivens us. And it has thinking, it has feeling, it has conscience, it has will. These are the four components that the Bible seems to suggest that the heart, the human heart or the spirit has. Thinking, feeling, conscience, and will. And then all of a sudden with this great gift of God, we are given his holy thinking, his holy feelings, his holy conscience, and his holy will. And the more that we sit in the brush arbor of the human soul, the more that we commune with our spirit and and God's Holy Spirit, and the more we spend time together, the Holy Spirit has influence on our spirit. We start thinking holy thoughts, and we start having holy feelings, and a holy conscience, and a holy will, and it transforms the very character of who we are by having communion with the Holy Spirit in the center place of who we are. Whew. I, when I was in college, I, I had the pleasure of um, being a roommate with my brother, okay? For the first two years, two, yeah, two years 
um, my brother and I, we lived together and we spent a lot of time together um, because that's what our, we, our brothers do. You know, we ate dinner together and we talked about life and we fought a little bit, but you know, for the most part, we had a good time and we spent a lot of time together. Then he graduated and then I got a roommate named Sean. And Sean and I weren't brothers, we were associates. And Sean, um, he, he, he wasn't well. Uh, quick story, I think I got time. Um, he got kicked out of law school for surfing on the top of a moving car. And um, I was asleep and I heard this crashing um, of glass and uh, <laughs> he had this beer uh, mug collection so I thought he was shattering all of his beer mugs, so I just rolled over and went back to sleep. And then somebody knocked on my door and they said, you probably need to get your roommate. And I walked in and he had thrown free weights through all the windows throughout the apartment. And it was really breezy. <laughs> and then I get a knock on the door and I open the door and it's for police officers like this. And I said, come on in. <laughs> and they, they, you know, they, they calmed him down and, and, and everything. And I bring this story up to say that um, we kind of have a relationship with the Holy Spirit uh, that is inside of us. And sometimes uh, we treat the Holy Spirit like an associate that we don't spend a lot of time with. It's in proximity, but not relationship. I was, in, I, I was in proximity with Sean. I was in relationship with my brother Kevin. And, and, and the same with the Holy Spirit. If, if the, you've, you've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, um, it might be resident in you. It might be, have proximity. But the more that we settle and sit in the presence of the Holy Spirit, the more we're having relationship with the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit can have influence. I want to leave um, with a practice that um, I shared with a, a, a group of people in England last summer, and it was just really funny because uh, I was invited to, to uh, teach practices at this uh, festival, and um, I, I think of myself as, okay, this is crazy, I think of myself as a very small, quiet, unassuming, non-dramatic person. Uh, I'm not, but I like to think of myself like that, and it's not true, but um, so I don't think that anything that I say is all that challenging, and uh, uh, people in the UK, they had this decorum, and they were like, oh, you are a lot, <laughs> and I am, I guess, but this is the, uh, the, the, <laughs> the, the, this is the practice that I shared with them, and, and, and so I, I said, wouldn't it be interesting if we wore our wounds for a week. Like what if we wore a wound in our left hand for a week and the wound is a picture of our soul wound that we carry, acknowledging that we have a soul wound that has an accompanying false vow, that has accompanying acts of violence. And if we have a reminder uh, for a week, we can begin praying and thinking about our soul wound. But wouldn't it be interesting at the same time is if we wore another wound 
for our enemy. Here's the way to think about who your enemy is. Is there a person in your life or a public figure that when they come to your head, it hits you in the gut and you go, ugh? You, you know who that is. <laughs> you, you, it popped up really quickly for you. <laughs> who is that person? What if you wore a soul wound? What, what if you wore a wound in your right hand to remind yourself, at least just for a week, that they too have a soul wound. The reason that they are the way they are is not out of a vacuum. It just didn't happen by happenstance. Could it be that your enemy has a soul wound that has a false vow and has an accompanying act of violence that they are dealing with as well? Wouldn't it be interesting if for a week we wore our wounds together? And maybe for that week, not advocate our enemy's position, not advocate our, in, uh, our enemy's behavior, but advocate for their healing. Like we just spend a week wearing wounds for ourselves and for our enemies. Uh, a young man uh, uh, at this uh, music festival heard uh, this story and about this practice, and, and he absolutely hated his father. His father, who was never supportive of him, always tore the young man down, a father who never called, and as he was talking about how stupid this notion was of wearing the, his, the, his, a wound for his father, his father actually called. And he picks up the phone and he says, hi, uh-huh. Okay, yeah, Dad. Thank you, Dad. And he didn't tell me the, the, the full breadth of the, the conversation, and I don't know that it was earth-shattering and you know, life-changing, but this is what he said. Maybe I can forgive him because he's as jacked up as me. He didn't use the word jacked up, but you know, it's Harper. They're recording. <laughs> but isn't that a notion? Maybe, maybe, maybe. Not I can, I'll forgive you, but just opening the door up enough. Maybe I can forgive him because I realize that he's as jacked up as me. This is the beginning of the end of his violence to himself and to his world. And hear me, we live like Jesus when we wear our wounds. We live like Christ when we wear the wounds of others. Because at the cross, Jesus took all of our pain, all of our shortcomings, all of our anxieties, and every act of violence so that we can sacrifice ourselves for others, even our enemies. Jesus lived, died, was resurrected with his wounds to tell us all as he told others in John 14 and 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Because one of the things that gets in the way of our healing and the reconciliation of the world is fear. Let's breathe the breath of peace 
Let's wear our wounds for, our, other, or for ourselves and others. And my prayer for you is may the Lord of peace give you a peace at all times and in every way. And the Lord be with you all. We have five minutes, comments, questions, pushback. I love it all, you, you know. Um, any, any questions uh, about soul wounds, false vows, and um, acts of violence, or um, any thoughts about those? No, thank you. It's it is hard though, right? Um, because I'm always right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and and they're wrong, and I know they're wrong, and I got facts that they're wrong, and they probably are sometimes. I mean, let, let's let's be real. It's uh, the the enemy is real and has manipulated others. For the, um, for, for the purpose of exploitation of so many people and so that there is evil and there's some wrong, there's some people doing some wrong things in the world, but they are human, human beings and they too are the beloved of God. And, but, the, ah, but I want my beloved sadness, I don't want you to have yours. But the, at the point that we really uh, recognize their humanity, and I appreciate you saying that because that's that's really what we're doing is trying to understand the the humanity of the, of our enemy. Other questions, thoughts, responses? Yes. Mm -hmm. if that's an act of violence towards God. Ooh, man, yeah. Ideally, right? Because what if um, I build something um, for great joy and beauty and somebody uses this thing for something other than great joy and beauty and truth and actually use it as violence, it seems as if it would break the heart of the one that created it, right? Yeah, that's very insightful. It breaks my heart, but it, it's, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Because God has a full, uh, I was about to say God has a full range of emotions. God has more than a full range of emotion, <laughs> right? Other questions, thoughts? Hmm? Yes. That's a very good question. I uh, typically, um, and this is the work, I, I'm a spiritual director, and so this is the, sort of the, mo mo the majority, this is the lens by which I do the majority of my work here on Pepperdine's campus. And so in some ways I'm speaking from this place of functioning as a spiritual director. One, I don't make the assumption of anybody's soul wound. First, I, 
you know, with great trepidation, I'm trying to build trust and enough to begin to ask some questions and people start presenting their soul wounds, okay? So um, I, if, I, if I had more time, the next thing, if, if I ever get a, a, a two-part uh, workshop or whatever, is that with every accompanying soul wound, there is a false vow. With every false vow is an act of violence and with every act of violence is a word of hope, right? And so you find out what that soul wound is and, and really it is sort of the opposite of whatever that uh, false vow is. So if the false vow is, you know, um, you, it's not okay to be you, then the healing word is you are loved because you are you, right? And we find a variety, I find, try to find a variety of different ways, not only to speak that word of hope into their lives, but also to be able, to, for them to be able to be self-reflective enough for them to realize not only can they be uh, saying those words to themselves, but this is what God is saying in scripture, right? Now God is in, in a bunch of different ways giving all of us this healing word, whether, whether it is um, uh, you are loved um, because of your mistakes or you know, regardless of whether you make mistakes or not, or um, uh, you will be taken care of, you know? And the more that we can uh, tend to ourselves with our, those, those words of hope and we can read it in scripture and immerse ourselves in there, then gradually that uh, soul won't heal. But there's a, there's a lot of practices, whether it's breath prayer or um, uh, really immersing ourselves in scripture through um, sort of not trying to get through the, the word, but letting the word get through to you sort of experiences. Thank you for asking that question. Other questions, other responses? Yeah. Yes, yes. Yes. actually do have to kind of position yourself to receive gifts from God, right? Because you could have already had the gift or God wants to give you the gift. And for whatever reason, if you're functioning from the ego or you, you haven't uh, uh, allowed yourself to be healed of a lot of things, you'd have that gift and driving around with in, a, in your trunk and not even opening it up. And that's one of those really great gifts, isn't it, to be able to um, offer loving awareness of fear, which gives it a place that, okay, it, you exist, yeah, you're real, but, you know... Yes. 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 You can verify it. Yeah. It's so very true. The research is conclusive at this point. 
um, that it really transforms consciousness to be able to receive and to be able to project peace in the world. You all have been wonderful and really gracious to me. Um, sometimes it sounds like the ravings of a lunatic, but uh, it's something in your hearts that have made this sacred space um, where we can talk about it. And I pray that um, your spirit and my spirit, we have come into agreement that there is uh, healing for the world's violence. Thank you so much. God bless.